This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Paul Violas is a CBS News security consultant, an accomplished author, and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. With over 35 years of experience, he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night. This is Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome to Security Matters, a CBS News Radio production. I'm Paul Violas, and before I get going, I want to thank everyone that's been hitting us up on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I mean, you guys know that I am electronically challenged, so uh, I am still learning about social media, but the comments that you're providing is phenomenal. Uh, I'm learning from them. Uh, I do want to openly apologize that I have not gotten back to everybody just by the sheer volume, but I am definitely going to. Um, and I appreciate your input. And as I've said before, and I will continue to say, Security Matters is your show. So if there are issues that are keeping you up at night, if you see things on the media that disturb you that you want some answers to, let us know and we will do a show on that. Very simple. Today's episode is the first in a two-part series that we will be doing on hate crime. Today's focus, Houses of Worship as the new soft target. Very, very delicate subject. There's no question about that. But as with all things, these, this particular issue is something that we have to take a much more aggressive stand on. Now, talk about a cultural shift in our country as well as the world. There's a lot going on here. And, you know, it seems that we are very cautious and timid, I would even go so far as to say, about talking about things that have to do with faith. I don't know why that is. I think... A lot of people are more concerned being politically correct than being honest. That's a personal decision. Uh, I don't have that type of filter. So um, as I see this, this is a much bigger problem than the tragedies that are occurring far too frequently. So we're going to drill down on that as well. Um, I've got an incredible guest today that is going to join me momentarily. I'm talking about Pastor Frank Pomeroy, and he's going to join us in, in very short order as we talk about the tragedy at his church, um, and what he has done as a religious leader, as a spiritual leader, not just uh, at his church, but the, throughout the entire country. Uh, Pastor Palmer will be coming on in a minute, but first, let's benchmark this subject. I think it's very, very important. Uh, I'm going to start back in May of 2012. Joseph Lewis, 84, was fatally shot while sitting in a car guarding Victory Way Assembly Church of God in Christ in Detroit, Michigan. Two teenagers were tried and convicted for second-degree murder as a result of that. March 2013, a 28-year-old man fatally shot his father during Easter services at the Hiawatha Church of God in Christ in Astachibula, Ohio. Uh, the, the shooter, last name being Riddle, then made a rambling statement at the pulpit while yelling about God and Allah. April 13, 2014, Neo-Nazi and former KKK leader Franja Miller 
fatally shot Dr. William Corporone and his 14-year-old grandson outside an Overland Park, Kansas Jewish center as they arrived for a community event. He then drove to a Jewish retirement community where he fatally shot Terry Lamano, who was visiting her mother. June 17, 2015, a day that so many of us will remember. Uh, nine black worshipers, including a pastor, were killed by Dylan Roof, a 21-year-old white supremacist, after he prayed with them for nearly an hour. That's correct. The shooting happened at a historic Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Roof was convicted of federal hate crime and obstruction of religious charges and sentenced to death. And then November 5th, 2017, dressed in black typical style gear, or tactical style gear, I'm sorry, armed with an assault weapon, 26-year-old Devin Kelly opened fire at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, killing 26 and wounding 20. October 27th, 2018, a 46-year-old man armed with an AR-15 style rifle and other weapons opened fire at the Tree of Life Synagogue, killing eight. And just recently, in April of 2019, a 19-year-old man killed one, wounded several others at the Congregation Shabbat Synagogue near San Diego. I can go on and on, but I know that everybody's got the point. The thing that we need to understand is this is an epidemic proportion, and all of us, regardless of what house of worship we go to, we need to come together on this, and we need to take a united front. We need to make the hard decisions to correct that. First Baptist Church in Sutherland, Texas, November 5th, 2017, 26-year-old Devin Patrick Murphy killed 26 and injured 20. He was shot twice and was found dead with multiple gunshot wounds, including a self-inflicted shot to the head. The attack was the deadliest mass shooting in Texas. It was the fifth deadliest mass shooting in the United States. It was the deadliest shooting in an American place of worship in modern history. Joining us today, the pastor from that church, Pastor Frank Pomeroy. Pastor, truly grateful for you taking the time to join us today, sir. Thank you for having me on. Pastor, I want to let's start with, um, if you would mind, sir. Please tell us about the incident. Well, that that could take an hour in and of itself. But in a brief nutshell, basically, the shooter showed up on premises during the Sunday morning service, and the coward started shooting through the outside wall. Started shooting through the front doors worked his way around the front of the church, down the side of the church, and over 400 rounds were shot through the walls to incapacitate those who were within. Then he walked in through into the sanctuary and started methodically going up and down the aisles and dispatching anyone he found that he thought he could, and he had a particular vengeance towards the children. And as he was in this process for about 11 minutes, the there was a gentleman caddy corner away a block away half a block away that his daughter heard the gunfire and them being nra instructors themselves she recognized it for what it was and told her dad and her dad told her to go run reconnaissance while she while he grabbed a firearm 
she started to come down and saw the man in black tactical gear and hurried back in and told her dad. And then he came running towards the church and yelled and confronted the shooter at that point. And then the shooter started shooting at him coming out of the building and God directed those bullets because not a one of them actually hit Stephen. And Stephen was able to, to hit one center center mass, but he had tactical gear on, but that made him drop his firearm and, and pull his sidearm, and he turned sideways. And at that point, uh, Stephen was able to place a shot through the side and in the leg, and the uh, perpetrator then got in his vehicle and sped off. And Stephen was able to shoot through the back glass where he thought the gentleman would be, and it, it got in, into his shoulder. And there was someone at the light who was seeing all this that then Stephen jumped in his vehicle and they pursued the man who went off into a field several miles later and uh, inflicted one last shot to himself. That That is the gist of it, the overall gist of it. Pastor, I, you know, my next question is one that I, uh, I, I grapple with. I born and raised in in a very strong Christian home, would like to feel that I work hard every day living by those principles. Um, So I have to ask, and I know our listeners definitely would love to know the the answer to this. As a pastor, what was your message to your congregation during your first sermon after the shooting? Bearing in mind that you also lost your own daughter. Well... First of all, let me say, you you have to remember my. I wouldn't wish twenty six funerals in two weeks on any anyone. There's a lot of uh, surrealism in that first couple weeks, uh, a fog, if you will. That's still hard to remember all the details of everything that transpired. But the um, the Monday morning following uh, the actual event. And I'm just having to share a quick portion of my personal testimony here to kind of get explain where that message came from that following Sunday. But that first morning that yes, sir, I had to face the media and all the the the, the portable morgue that was set up in the road outside my the church there and the crime scene and the church being shot up and and I never turned my back on God, but my spiritual level was incredibly low, and I. I looked at Brother Mark, who's the pastor's First Baptist Church, Yorktown, who was here on the scene helping direct things. He was my—this uh, one of those that truly held my arms up during through this this ordeal. I looked at him and said, "You know, brother, I'm done. I don't—I don't have nothing else to give. My church is shot up. My baby is gone. Twenty-five other people are gone. I—I I, I just don't have anything left." And I said, "But we have to go visit those who are in the hospital." Well, we went and visited those in the hospital, and I'm really cutting this short, but as I did, each one that was capable to speak, mm-hmm. for the down to the every last one that was capable to speak at the time, was praising God and saying, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be persecuted in your namesake, and we're going to use this testimony when we get out. Well, by the time I left Bamsey, Brooks Army Medical Center, after visiting Gunny Macias, it was 11 o'clock at night, Monday night. And the stars were shining. The, the the grackles were in the trees. I won't really call it singing, but you know the birds were singing. Mm-hmm. But it was an epiphany came to me that night in the parking lot with Mark. I looked up, 
in the passage of Scripture where God was talking to Job and said, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? And I thought, God's still in control. And I turned to Mark, and I said, Mark, I don't know how. I have no clue how we're going to continue, but we do still have a remnant. God's Spirit's still moving here. Well, that epiphany and then dealing and working with the, the first responders, the survivors, and everything throughout that week, again, there's a lot I don't remember. It's it's a fog. It's just hard. People tell me things I said and did, and it's like, wow, I just don't remember. More than understandable. But I do know when that sermon was coming together in my head for that first Sunday morning after the event, the message that God laid on my heart was that Satan had attacked. Evil came in and gave it his best shot. But that shot wasn't big enough to overpower my guy. And I told everybody, we need, we can choose the pathway of the world and of Satan, and then he wins, which is hate and divisiveness and ugliness and pointing fingers and this, this coming down on one another. Or we could choose grace and mercy and hope, because that hope will be in something bigger than ourselves, which will make us look up and out. And the way to heal and move forward is not to look at my feet and oh, poor me, but to look away from us and know this battle's already been won. And, Lord, what would you have me to do? And by looking at something bigger than ourselves, then we won't focus on our own hurt as much as we will focus on helping one another. And I am I am blessed, brother, to, to be in a community and in a church where everybody came together and we still look out for one another and as a community— those who come to church and those who do not, we still, as a community, chose life. We chose grace. We chose mercy. We chose hope. We chose and love. For that reason, we chose love. Love never fails. And by choosing that, we didn't get mired down in all the, the ugliness. Now, are we still hurting? Sure. Are some people further along the grief scale than others? Absolutely. Do we still have fallbacks? My wife just this past week had a panic attack when she went into the new sanctuary. Did things still happen? Absolutely. But we're dealing with it together, and evil did not win that day, nor will it win now. And you know what, Pastor? You can't have a better message, a stronger message. I mean, by the grace of God, you are where you are right now. How you've done it, I know. I mean, I know how you've done it. You know how you've done it. Um, And your message is something that we need to share with everybody. Uh, we're talking to Pastor Frank Pomeroy from the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Pomeroy about his message to the country and what other religious leaders are doing right now. You're listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas on CBS Radio News. Stay with me. As we continue to learn more about the deadly synagogue shooting, Jewish leaders in Pittsburgh are meeting to discuss concerns going forward. The Pope also addressed the violent attack Sunday and prayed for God to help, quote, extinguish the flames of hatred that develop in our societies. This mass shooting comes at the end of a week of bomb scares targeting Democratic political leaders and Trump critics across the country. And a shooting at a Kroger grocery store in Kentucky left two dead this week. That incident is also being investigated as a hate crime after the suspect reportedly tried to get inside a predominantly black church before going to the store. Now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome back to Security Matters with Paul Violas, and I am speaking with Pastor Frank Pomeroy 
from the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Pastor, based on what you were just sharing, um, what are you, what are religious leaders doing about security now in in their own houses of worship? Do you know? Well, I'm going to say that that's a two part answer. Okay, and and the one part I tr- I have been given the opportunity. I travel and speak with a group. Uh, I work pretty closely with a group called Strategos International and then also Black Sheep, uh, excuse me, Sheepdogs. Black Sheep is a Christian motorcycle group I ride with. But Sheepdog Ministries, and we travel around and put the, they put together these church uh, groups of churches to talk about security and things you can do to help your, make your church more secure and, and training. That's the biggest thing is training. And what I share with church groups and pastors and chaplains and such are two things, twofold. Primarily, complacency is your enemy. You can't get complacent. You, No matter how well of a plan you think you have designed, you need to continue to train. You need to continue to to, to let, let your safety response teams get uh, de-escalation techniques and, and things. You have to train. Don't allow complacency to step in. Satan will take hold of that. And the second thing I always point out is it's direly important, in my opinion, that you must, prior to an event, what, whatever the event is, I pray no one ever has another active shooter, but that's probably a, it's probably going to happen somewhere again, as we saw just this week in some of the schools. Right. But no, but we, regardless of whether it's, whatever the tragedy may be, be prepared prior to it by training, but most of all, by knowing and, and putting your faith in Christ and in, uh, in the Spirit. Because here, I believe, because we were pursuing the Spirit, Prior to the event, it was that spirit of God and grace and mercy and love and hope that sustained us through the event and now has been rebuilding us after the event. Absolutely. Now, our faith was in something greater than ourselves, not in our plans, not in our doctrine even, not in our church name. Our faith was in God, and we believe that, that was, our faith was strong enough that though we were rocked, and we were rocked, brother, I can't even tell you how hard we were rocked. I, I couldn't imagine. But, I wouldn't even try. Exactly. But we were able to stand, and those that fell, we were able to put our arms around them. And I believe it was because he who is within us is greater than he who is within this world. And we chose to let that spirit sustain us when we couldn't sustain ourselves. I, people say, well, Pastor Palmer, you were, you, you, were, you were so strong. You're so strong in this. Well, the Bible says when I am weak, he is strong, because I was pretty weak. I'm not, I'm not even trying to hide that. But he sustained me, and then I was able to be a touchstone for others, and then others for others, and he sustained us. And then once you get through the, if you, when I say get through, it's not like it goes away. But once you get over the hardest hump, he's here building us and rebuilding us and growing us. And out of the ashes, there's growth and life and and joy. Just this past weekend, we were landscaping out here at our new facility, and. And the news crew came by and said, I cannot understand why everyone is so happy. And there's laughs and smiles. I said, there's sadness, too. But we're working together because look what God has blessed us with. Because that's what they chose, right? Because that's what they chose. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's what they chose. Exactly. That's absolutely right. And it It all comes back to choice. and, And so you would agree then, Pastor, that religious leaders around the country are being more proactive about not being complacent. Um, do you feel that it's appropriate well, to, as a, you know, as a voice here in the entire country, 
to to start looking to consider more preparedness policies for things like this? Absolutely, and that's why a moment ago I said there's two 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 things I want to point to. One is that there are many that have had their eyes opened and are are becoming more prepared. They are getting more t- uh, tactical in their camera placements and, and safety response team trainings and such. But also, too, many come to me and, and are opposing me with any kind of of uh, physical, tangible things and saying, well, if God's in control, therefore I'm going to sit back and let God protect us and God, let God take care of these things, which he will and does, but he expects us to use our common sense as well, just like if someone has a heart attack, they're not, for the most part, they're going to go to a doctor, and the doctor's going to use inanimate objects there, those machines and the training he's been given to save their life. God has given us common sense to use and utilize the same things on church campuses to be able to protect the sheep as well. And I think as a whole, God is, is in control. He is in charge, but he expects us to use our, our heads and get trained and focus and pay attention to what everything's going on around that's us a, also. That's a great message. And, and, in, and in closing, Pastor, uh, if you had a message to our listeners, and we have a, I mean, thank God, we've got a pretty diverse group of listeners. Um, you're, you're, if you had a message for our listeners about this subject, what would it be? To make the choice now before any tragedy befalls you, whether it's financial, relational, uh, hopefully nowhere near what we had here, but make the choice now to choose Christ and choose grace and choose mercy. Because I think when the midst of a tragedy does befall you, the Scripture says what's within a man is what you will see. And I'm afraid that what's within some of us isn't always what God wants others to see. So we need to make a choice prior to the event. I choose the Lord. I choose grace. I choose mercy. So that when that vice is closed down on us in the midst of the tragedy, what's going to come out is grace, mercy, hope, and love as well. So it's very important to make that decision and, and choose life before you're called upon to put your tactical gear on, if you will, before you're called out to, to fight that spiritual battle. Paul tells us every day in Ephesians 6 to put on our spiritual armor. And I believe one of that those is when we put on the helmet of salvation, it gets our mind right by choosing Christ before the event happens. Well, it's a great message, Pastor. And, and just know everyone here at CBS Radio um, is just in awe of the amazing job that you and and your congregation have done at showing the country and the world about what resolve and resilience is and the decisions and the choices we need to make and also the type of the type of preparedness we need to have getting our minds right about dealing with the, this this kind of risk so on behalf of everybody here at CBS news radio and, and certainly everyone here at security matters uh, our prayers will unfold you and continued thanks for taking the time to join us today pastor absolutely thank you for having me on yes sir stay with me we're going to take a quick break you're listening to security matters with Paul Violas on CBS News Radio. Here in the U.S., police in Sacramento, California, are investigating two possible hate crimes against Muslims. DeMarco Morgan has details. 
In Sacramento, California, Saturday, this image circulated around the community. A Quran filled with bacon burned and handcuffed to a fence at the largest mosque in the state's capital. All over the street. On Friday night, pages ripped from a Quran were thrown outside the Islamic center of Davis, California, and picked up by worshipers during Ramadan prayers. It's the third time the mosque has been targeted since the presidential election. A woman was seen vandalizing the center in January. In November, the mosque was one of several that received a letter calling Muslims vile and filthy. Albert Kahn is with New York's chapter of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, also known as CARE. Talk about the level of disrespect, ripping pages out of the Holy Quran, putting bacon inside. This is as clear as using a swastika or using a burning cross. This is meant as a symbol of hate. It is meant as a symbol of intimidation. And when it is done to a mosque in the height of Ramadan during prayers, the message is clear. These people wanted to instill fear. They wanted to harass. And that message has no place in this country. Now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome back to Security Matters. I'm Paul Violas. And as we close the show for today, uh, a couple of things to keep in mind. Number one, um, Pastor Pomeroy's message is, is incredibly strong and powerful. And, and, I, and I certainly agree with the fact that it is something that we need to make a choice on. I've often said, what's a more powerful emotion, love or hate? Uh, in fact, we'll throw that out to you. And if you want, write us back on, on either Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Let us know what you feel is more powerful, love or hate. We'll give you the answer to that next episode. Uh, part two of this, we will air uh, next week, and that will be an interview with very high-ranking law enforcement officials in the country to talk about what's being done about hate crime, how it's investigated, and what the plan is for, for mitigating that. Also, want to make sure everybody knows that um, although we were very blessed to have Pastor Pomeroy here, this message is about all houses of worship. Uh, we reached out to... Uh, both the synagogues in Pittsburgh and um, uh, San Diego. And unfortunately, they were um, not able to join us today. And, but hopefully, and God willing, we'll be able to get them on. So keep this in mind as we close for today. Uh, hate crime is certainly increasing, but it is something that we need to take a more active role in identifying and mitigating. You heard today from one gentleman who... If something stuck with me, it's when he said, going through 26 funerals in two weeks, we all need to start arresting the hate in our communities. We have to take an active role in that. Let's use this as part one of the part two on hate crime to start thinking more about identifying these things preemptively and reporting them. On behalf of everybody here uh, at Security Matters, thank you for, for, for dialing in today, for listening to us, for supporting us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And remember, if there is a show um, that you would like to hear uh, a subject on, then please let us know. You've been listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas, a CBS News Radio production. For more podcasts at CBS, hit us up at cbsaudio.com. Be safe, be well. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. 
Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.